Listen, I want you to give it up, show some love to our youth pastor, Anthony Garza. <laughs> oh, man. Well, as much fun as I am to be around, Pastor David is even more fun to be around if you can't tell. Uh, I love working here at this church. I love working in this office, and I love being able to be around Pastor David. Uh, I just want to real quick uh, honor Pastor David. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, Pastor, on behalf of me and my wife and my young son, our family, we love you. We love Lisa. We love Brooke. And I am so grateful that I have him as a pastor. Um, Uh, last, uh, when we had our, our luncheon, um, somebody said, oh man, this guy served 10 years under Pastor, Pastor Tommy Barnett. He's going to be so great. And then somebody made a comment, well, Pastor has to put his socks on the same way as Pastor Tommy Barnett. But I'm telling you, 10 years from now, people are going to say, oh, Anthony, you got to work for Pastor David Blythe? And I am so blessed to be a part of that uh, spiritual lineage. I'm also very grateful for this church and for this board. Um, I would not be able to do what I do. I literally would not be able to do what I do if it was not for you as a congregation, for you as church members, and for our board who you've elected and put me in this position. And I am so, uh, so grateful. Uh, I'll share a quick story. Uh, some of my football players discovered I was a youth pastor and they were like, so, so what do you do? Um, and I was like, this? I get, to, I get to hang out with you guys. And you're like, do you get paid? And I was like, actually, yes. You know, the pastor made a joke. Not a lot of youth pastors get paid a lot, but I am so blessed to be able to be full-time. And so they were like, do you get paid well? And I was like, by God's grace, yes. By our church, and they were like, "Well, how does that even work?" And their their brains were just spinning. Like, how does that work? How do you go to a church, attend a church? You're a football coach. How do you do all these things? And I was like, "Look, I'm just like a teacher, right? Except you have to give money on purpose to the government for the government to pay those teachers. And sometimes it doesn't work out very well. And taxes are not fun. At my church, people have the option to give." freely of their own free will, and they are the ones that are allowing me to be here with you. And they were like, that's so cool. And what they actually said was like, oh, that's a dub job, Pastor. And I was like, what? Just say it was a W. It was a good, they said it was awesome. But I just want to thank you as a church. I do not take my position lightly. I will never take this position for granted. Um, but I just want to share with you guys some updates in the youth. It's been a minute since I've been up here with you guys. We have been growing again. I made a joke during uh, the last couple of years that we grew from 50 to 25. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we are growing again. We have two to three new faces every single Wednesday night. And it's been so much fun. So if you have a, a, a student from the, from the grades 6 through 12, please have them join us on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. We meet back there in the East Room, and it's been just going great. Uh, next month, we have our annual youth convention down in Sacramento, um, and this is uh, November 11th and 12th for all of the teenagers, all the 6th through 12th graders. If you're interested in going, 
please visit online uh, to our, the events tab and you can see the registration there. Uh, I'm really excited to update you guys on something and, and hopefully this message today kind of gets us ready because I'm looking forward to the years to come here in this place. But one of those things is summer camp next year. Yeah, thank you. They, they, because they know, they know. So we met uh, Pastor David, Pastor Erica, and myself. We had the chance to meet with some of the district leadership uh, of our NorCal Nevada district of the Assemblies of God. And uh, we petitioned them to allow us to bring a Northern California district-affiliated camp up to Mount Lassen. And they said, yes, go for it. So I am so excited because of what I'm speaking on today about the rich generational blessing and history that we have experienced here in this place. I'm not from here. I get to be ingrained into this church body, but I'm not from here. There's so many people here that have been blessed, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost, and sent out from Mount Lassen, and I'm so excited to bring that back up here to the Northern California churches. So please be keeping your eye out on that. Lastly, this is actually the month of October. It is Pastor's Appreciation Month, but it is also Speed the Light Giving Month. Last year, we had the National Speed the Light Director, Eric Hoffman, with us, and he shared with us about generational generosity. Speed the Light is a youth giving movement to the Assemblies of God, specifically to missions. I'm gonna read a little bit more about that and later on in my message, but last year, Last year, so two years ago, I want, I want you guys to hear this. Two years ago, our youth group, because we were just getting started and all the things that we're putting in place, we raised zero dollars for missions as a youth group. Last year, with your generosity, with you partnering with the youth, with our board catching the vision and other people matching funds, our church and our youth group gave $13,711. which was amazing because we were actually third in our district churches in giving to Speed the Light. And I am so grateful and so proud to be a part of a giving church. So we wanna beat that goal this year, and that's not what this message is about, but I wanna beat $13,000. If we raise $20,000, Pastor David said that we can pie both him and myself in the face. So. If we double it, I don't know. We'll have to come up with something good. But I would love to see our missions, our youth missions giving initiative double this year. So here we begin. I want to read the lyrics of a, a, a song that has recently become very popular, not only here in this church, but across the globe. It really, it really just kind of hit the scene right before the pandemic. And then there was beautiful, beautiful videos of people meeting on Zoom, singing this song, congregations, churches, worship teams. And it was written and sung by Carrie Job and her husband, Cody Carnes. I'm going to read these lyrics to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. Amen, amen, amen.
Now you might be sitting here thinking, wow, that's such a beautiful song. And there might be other of you thinking, well, Pastor Anthony, that's not a song, that's scripture. I know, that's why I love it. I love when our worship team, like today, sings songs that are straight out of the scriptures. So I'm gonna read you guys some scriptures that this song is based off of. This song comes straight, straight from these few scriptures. In Numbers chapter six, verse 22 and 27, this is known as the priestly blessing. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. It's just scripture, repetitive, because us millennials like repetition and we feel like the Holy Spirit can't move if we don't sing the same chorus 25 times. But anytime you see repetition, and I'll touch on this later, it is something of importance. And God repeated this promise over and over again in the Old Testament. Exodus 20, verse 6. But showing love to a thousand generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Deuteronomy 7.9. I got a couple more. This is, this is a great song. Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And then Psalm 103, 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love with those who fear him. The Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. I'm gonna pray to open up this message. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you be with us today. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your promise of this blessing. God, be with us today and may your word fall on fertile ground this morning. God, speak through me, uh, calm my nerves, and Lord, bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we have this blessing. We sing this blessing here at this church quite often. But what I want to, to, to give to us today is that we also need to hold up our end of the bargain. Now, God is not a transactional God. He does, not, he does not wait for us to give him something so we, in turn, give it back to us, right? Or give it back to him. But I did not read the second half of these verses, which I will at the end of the message. But we must ensure that we ourselves are worthy and capable of passing the blessing on to the next generation. So it's more than just singing songs. It's more than just reading God's word. So how do we ensure that we ourselves and our posterity have access to this blessing? Well, today I wanna to walk through three simple and key areas that we need in order to guarantee blessings to, for the generations to come. Now, these are three areas that, that we experience. Uh, I, I recently, last year, got to join the great army of parents. Uh, and so now I am one of you and I can speak as one of you. I don't know everything, I promise. I don't know everything. I'm still a young man who's learning 
how to navigate his job, his family, and sleep. (laughs) But three things that really, really uh, uh, weigh heavy on parents, weigh heavy on grandparents, three things. First, that I wanna touch on is wisdom. We must obtain wisdom. If we are to pass on God's blessing to the next generation, we must obtain wisdom and pass on wisdom. We've been walking through the wisdom books uh, this semester with the youth. We, we uh, walked through the book of Proverbs and then we just finished Ecclesiastes and next month we're gonna go through Job and I've been loving it. So a lot of my scriptures today are gonna be heavily influenced by wisdom, but wisdom is something that we all need. We need it. So what is wisdom? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom sets us up for blessing. You see all over the book of Proverbs that if you walk in the way of the Lord and your way is upright, then you will be blessed. I like to think of it like a, like a little kid at a birthday party with a piñata, Right? or in English, the pinata, okay? So you, you, in order to get the blessing, in order to receive the candy, right, you must be close to, if not under, the pinata, right? So that's what Proverbs is. It's instruction of how to position yourself the best way possible to receive the blessing. Wisdom sets us up for blessing. Proverbs 3, 1 through 2 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Proverbs is a promise. It is part of the the, the love covenant of God that if we keep his ways, he will give us peace and prosperity, and he will be with us. Proverbs 3.15. Sorry, 3.18. She is the tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. When I was studying the book of Proverbs, I, I realized something that maybe some of you have already, but wisdom is actually generational. Wisdom is a generational blessing. Wisdom is passed on from one generation to another. Proverbs 4, 1 through 2 says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. This is Solomon writing to his sons. Listen, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, he is going through saying, son, listen to this. Son, heed my teachings. Listen to the word of the Lord. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. This is Solomon to his sons. Then in verses three and four, it says, for I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my word with all your heart, keep my commandments and you will live. I never noticed this verse before, but Solomon is actually saying, King David taught me. I always thought that Solomon was the guy who had a dream one night and God asked him what he wanted and he said, God, I want to be wise. And so then God gave him all the wisdom in the world. It's true, but it actually started 
with his father. You guys get that? It started with David saying, listen, son, listen to the wisdom of the Lord. And then Solomon continued in that wisdom and wrote it down for his sons. And now we all get to read those words. So this was David to his son, Solomon. So this is what David says in Proverbs 4, 5 through 9. Get wisdom and get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Wow, thanks, Dad. Every teenager can relate with that one. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland of grace, a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. So the first nine chapters of Proverbs is Solomon writing to his sons and we see that Solomon got wisdom from his father. But then Proverbs 31, the last chapter in the book of Proverbs was actually passed on from a mother to her son. So we have a father to a son and then we end the book with a mother to her son. Proverbs 31, one through two. We've heard many of the, you know, the stereotypical Proverbs 31 women that many men pastors like to use to tell women what to do, actually came from a mom. The sayings of King Lemuel, Proverbs 31, one through two. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. And then King Lemuel lists out all of the things that he saw from his mom, right? The Proverbs 31 woman was his mom. So it's such a beautiful book to, to go, to start from a father to a son and from a son to his sons and end with a mother to her son. So wisdom is passed down from generation to generation. Obviously here in these words and these writings, but it is not limited to that just as King Lemuel's mother let your kids see your example. I want to encourage all the parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles in this place. Let your kids see your example. It's not always what you tell a kid to do. It's what you show them. Let them catch you. Listen, kids, students, they're going to catch you. Whether it's a good thing or whether it's a bad thing, they're going to catch you. It reminds me of a great song by Rodney Atkins called Watching You. And he tells the story of, of stepping on the brakes a little too hard and say, saying a curse word. And then later on, he hears his son say the same curse word. And he's like, where'd you learn that? And he said, I've been watching you, Dad. And then later on, the father, he's praying in his bedroom. And he's like, God, I'm so dumb. This kid is looking up to me. I don't. And then... He goes to put his son to bed and he catches his son praying. He said, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I love country music. <laughs> but it's so true. Your kids are going to catch you in the act. Let them catch you honoring the Lord. Let them catch you what, uh, honoring your spouse. 
Even in the midst of an argument, let them catch you putting your spouse above all others. Let them catch you embracing them. Let them catch you at the football game. I'll tell you, man, it means so much to a student to have a parent in the stands or an uncle in the stands or a friend in the stands. All you have to do is show up. Let them catch you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 talks about how riches are meaningless because we cannot take what we worked for here to heaven. So if you're here in this place and you're like, man, I need to provide for my family. I need to be there. I need to do all these things. I need to set things up for the future generations. But can I tell you, showing up to a football game means more to a kid than a Christmas present. Showing up to their t-ball game means more to a kid than getting a new iPad. And they might tell you differently, but they're lying. They need you. They want you. So what do we leave here on earth? The book of Ecclesiastes is amazing because the teacher is saying that everything is meaningless. But he gives us some glimpses of things that do and should have meaning in our lives. So what do we pass on to our children who are watching us? What do we leave here on earth if not riches? We leave our children. We leave our legacy. We leave our lineage. We leave our last name. We leave our spiritual heritage. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun, during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. I love this, because he talks about even the, even the riches that you do store up, if you build a business and you, you build all these things for your kids, there's nothing that guarantees that that kid, that son or daughter, will want to continue in that. There's nothing that guarantees that your children are going to be good stewards of the money you leave behind. There's no guarantees in life. And we cannot take our riches to us with heaven, but it is still our responsibility to set them up for success. I shared with my youth group the, the image I get from this part of Ecclesiastes where he's saying, like, don't worry about riches, don't worry about anything, don't worry, life is fleeting, life is a vapor, hold on to the things you have dear. Sitting around the dinner table, it says enjoying food and drink with loved ones. I imagine sitting around the dinner table at Christmas time, and if you could relate with me here, or sitting around on the couch with the Christmas tree in the corner and the fire uh, uh, in the fireplace, and just for a second, for a moment, everything is right in the world. That feeling of peace, and like there's no, there's no craziness going on in the world. You don't have to go to work the next morning. You just get to sit here and be with your family and drink hot cocoa and, and, and enjoy life. The presents don't really matter. The presence of your love does. That, that moment, that feeling, I wish that we can bottle up and sell in a candle, that we can have this sense of peace with us all the time. That is what Ecclesiastes is telling us. So, let them catch you. They're watching. 
it matters. And this same vein, something that is really tough for us or really important to us, especially to my wife and I, as we were talking about having kids, we're like, kids are expensive. How are we gonna have enough money to do this? Kids are expensive. And for some of you, I just, <laughs> insurance is not what it was. Hospital bills are not what they were back then. And yes, I'm grateful for modern technology and medicine, but man, it's expensive. But I know that God has our back. So we must, after we secure wisdom, or when we have wisdom, we must also secure financial peace for the next generation. Setting your kids up, and this is more, and I'm gonna explain this to you, this is more than just leaving money behind because we all know that money can buy things, but it cannot buy joy. So I thought riches were meaningless, as it says in Ecclesiastes. So let's take a look. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As, good in, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to, for them to feast their eyes on them? So riches are meaningless. Chasing after money is meaningless. We read in the New Testament that the love of money is the beginning of evil. But listen, handling money is something that we need to do. We need to be good stewards with what God has given us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, it says, ship your grains across the sea. After many days, they may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster comes upon you. Ecclesiastes, who just told us riches were meaningless, is now telling us to invest our money because we don't know when there's gonna be a rainy day and we need that rainy day fund. Shout out to the financial peace class. <laughs> Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Letting us know that we should not or, or should avoid at all possible to go severely into debt. In another portion of Proverbs it says, to run away like a gazelle from a trap. Do not let your eyes close until you have resolved your debt. So we must be good stewards with the things that we have. But again, we must be an example to our children. So what is wisdom in this area? As mentioned previously, being an example. Enjoy your work. One of the best things you can do for your children who are growing up is to show them that no matter what you do, you enjoy it. If you come home at the end of the day and all you do is complain about your job and then all you talk about is how much you need the money, we wonder why we have a generation that doesn't wanna to go to work. We'd rather be at home making videos on YouTube, making millions of dollars we have lost the art of hard work in this country. We must enjoy our work, it says all over Ecclesiastes. 
That sometimes it is better to work hard in the fields and, and, and love the little that you have than to be rich and hate life. It doesn't matter what job you have. Now, listen, I'm not telling us in this place that we need to store up thousands or, or millions or billions of dollars for our future generations, but we need to ensure financial peace, not financial prosperity, not, not big dollars, peace. Ecclesiastes 3.22, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, become that is their lot, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Give the Lord what is his. We must give the Lord what is his. Pastor David shared a fantastic message with us last week, closing the book of Philippians. And so I'm not gonna give us a bunch of scripture on giving and, and what it is and, and how to do it. If you wanna see that, if you weren't here, go to our website, watch it on YouTube, it is powerful. But we must give the Lord what is his. If we want generations that, that, that work, if we want generations that are wise with their money, we must be an example to them in our lives. Now this is for me speaking personally and I think a lot of students and, and, and children in this room can identify with this. We as parents must remove all fear and anxiety when it comes to money. That's hard. That is so hard. How do we do that? Well, again, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us to just enjoy life as it comes. We can't hold on to anything. So we must Live life with open hands. Whatever we get, we give. We can't hold on to it for too long, so whatever we receive, we must be willing to give. Whatever we have in the moment, we must enjoy. The way that I learned, and I wish I learned it sooner from my parents' example, to remove fear and anxiety that was attached to money was the understanding of it all belongs to God anyways. Now my parents lived this out. They showed me. They were faithful tithe payers. But as I got to high school, as I, I, as I began to grow, I'm just being honest with you, I saw my father on a pastor's income wearing football cleats from Ross all four years of high school. Let me tell you, Ross has some good finds. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and it wasn't anything that my parents told me or showed me, but I thought, man, I wanna have so much money in my mind, I was like, so I can give it away. Well, you all know that story. I went to college to become an engineer and make so much money. Now I'm a youth pastor who enjoys his work. So we must remove all fear and anxiety in, in many areas, but especially when it comes to finances. Kids, like I said, will catch you. If you are stressed out at the dinner table about bills that are to come, that stress gets passed on to them. You know what else gets passed on to them? Trusting God that it's all gonna work out. Building their faith at a young age and showing them how God always comes through. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. So this is the wisdom that we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, to enjoy what you have and what you have earned and store up for a rainy day because you don't know what's going to happen. Let your loved ones catch you being generous. I learned this from my parents also, and there's not anything they ever explicitly told me. But every time we went out to a restaurant, every time, we were tipping 20% no matter what. Now, if, we felt, if my parents felt like the Lord leading them to give more, they did. Giving and generosity is not limited to just uh, tithes and offering. Generosity is a lifestyle. And if your kids catch you being generous, they too will be generous with their time, with their money, with their efforts. I'm going to read you a, a story of this week in the Assemblies of God history. How the Assemblies of God youth raised over $300 million for missions. So, here we go. This is, I'm just gonna read it. <laughs> Never mind, it will soon blow over. These skeptical words greeted the enthusiasm of Christ's ambassadors. Are any people in here remember Christ's ambassadors? Let's go. Christ's ambassadors director Ralph Harris, when he recounted that the Assemblies of God young people had given over $100,000 in 1945, to the new missions fund, Speed the Light. Not many adults believed that the youth of their churches could sustain their excitement for, for providing missionary transportation vehicles in far off countries. The idea for the fund came to Harris only a month after taking his new post as the national youth director. It was in 1944, so 30 years after the Assemblies of God was founded, and the young people were beginning to come to grips with the changes in their world following World War II. Vehicles had been hard to come by as many automobile manufacturers stopped producing civilian vehicles in favor of military vehicles. Harris knew the youth of America could identify with those who were without transportation. And anybody who is 16 and just got their license knows how hard it is to have a license and no car. The youth identified with this. Harris also knew that the war had exhibited to young people the power of vehicles being used for the destructive purposes. They had watched news of airplanes and jeeps and boats destroy and be destroyed. Was there a way to show the world that the same vehicles that had been used to bring the desolation to a nation could also be used to bring the good news of the hope of the gospel? Could the young people of the Assemblies of God lead the way in this effort? General Superintendent E.S. Williams offered a less than positive response to Harris's idea of using the offerings from Christ's ambassador groups to purchase airplanes. He said this, Jesus didn't need a motorcycle and Paul didn't fly a plane. Let me tell you, it is so easy for an older generation to look at a younger generation and say, you don't need that. Toughen up. You don't need that. 
But I'm telling you here in this place, this church, this pastor believes in the next generation. I'm so glad to be a part of a place that does not look and say, well, Jesus didn't have lights. Jesus didn't have a sound system. Jesus didn't have an Instagram. But guess what? Teenagers do. And we must speak to them and we must reach them. However, while Williams was very conservative in the approach to money, he was also a man in touch with God. While Harris was still trying to sell his idea, Williams felt the Holy Spirit reminding him that Jesus and Paul might not have used those vehicles, but they likely would have if they had them available. Within an hour of approaching his boss, Harris had the approval to begin promoting this new idea. The program needed a name, and Harris offered a prize to the young person that submitted the best name. Ernestine Houston of Arizona sent in the new moniker, Speed the Light, and was awarded, check this out, was awarded $15 in the Gospel Publishing House materials for coining the new name, which is still used today. Harris set the astronomical goal, right when he started it in 1944, started the astronomical goal of $100,000 for their first year, 1945. Christ Ambassadors members were told that if they each gave $1, their goal could be met. This was greeted with skepticism on the part of some leadership. But the Assemblies of God youth came through with $113,000 that year. Their first major uh, purchase, I know this is a long story, but this is so good. Their first major purchase was a small amphibian plane for the work in Liberia. This was the first, check this out, this was the first non-military plane ever to fly into that country and caused quite a stir. The Liberians were so excited that, uh, to see the plane that for many years they charged no duty fees on any speed the light equipment brought to the country. Appeals soon began to pour in from all over. It opened the floodgates. Boats were needed in the, in the Bahamas, a Jeep in Costa Rica, mules were requested in Nigeria, and bicycles. The Assemblies of God discovered that one missionary properly equipped could do the work of 16 who uh, lacked resources, missionaries were needed. Harris knew that he had to keep this challenge fresh, so he proclaimed on the third Sunday of October, Dollar Day, when a special offering would be sent in from Christ Ambassadors Group, totaling $1 for each young person that attended their church. The Pentecostal Evangel lent their support. One young man, Lauren, was 17 when Speed the Light was born. He later testified that Speed the Light built a bridge for him to different parts of the world as he read updates in the Evangel articles and had the opportunity to contribute to something that was larger than himself. At 17 years old, a teenager connected to the world through giving to missions. He was learning that he could impact the entire world for good. He later became a pastor in Nebraska who supported Speed the Light in his local church until God called him to spend 12 years in Nicaragua using his own Speed the Light vehicle. <laughs> he later served as the field director for, the Latin, for Latin America, and in 1997, Lauren Triplett retired as the executive director of the Assemblies of God World Missions. It started with him giving $1 to Speed the Light as a 17-year-old. So since that first year in 1945, the youth of the Assemblies of God to this day, it's more than this because of the last couple years after this article, has 
totaled over $315 million. J. Philip Hogan, referring to the skeptics who told Harris this excitement in the youth would soon blow over, wrote on the 40th anniversary in 1984, he was right. It has blown over all the world. <laughs> Why is this important? Generational generosity is important because it teaches us, it teaches our students that money all belongs to God and that we are just stewards. As you saw for Lauren Triplett, it enabled him to read these stories of missionaries and become and, and fall in love with missions. Our churches are in need of missionaries. We support missions here at this church. Our churches are in need of, of trained, qualified young people who will grow up to become pastors and missionaries. Giving Two missions helps enable this. I want to encourage all of us, we are not called to live a poverty gospel. There are many people who, who will, will preach to you that you should have nothing, pastors should have nothing. God forbid I drive a, a broken car to work. Like Pastors should just be able to live like the disciples did with the clothes on their back. I've heard this before. We're not called to live in poverty. We're not called to a poverty mindset, but we also must avoid the lie that is the prosperity gospel. That it is your goal, it is God's gift to you in life for you to be a millionaire. Not all of us are called to that. Not all of us can handle that. We are called, however, to the generosity gospel. Whatever we have, we should be generous with. Whatever is earned should be freely given because it all belongs to our creator in heaven. I'm gonna read this verse that Pastor David shared last week, 2 Corinthians 8, one through five. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given this, the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. We see the example of the Macedonian church giving and being generous. There are so many parables in the New Testament of Jesus and the importance of being generous. What comes to mind is, is the woman who gave all she had, one little penny, but Jesus said it was more important to him than the man who gave thousands of dollars. We must, we must pass on this idea of financial peace to our next generation. Lastly, we must pass on our faith to the next generation. Well, faith, wisdom, finances, it all goes together, but we must pass on our faith to the next generation. We must do as Proverbs 22, six says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This next generation, I wanna encourage all of you, this next generation does not need perfect, they want real. Matthew 18, 
6 says this, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. This is why I don't take being a youth pastor lightly. This is why I don't take being a parent lightly. Because if I were to take away from my son, to take away from these students, it would be better for me to be at the bottom of the sea. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. I'm reading the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is a first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. And us as parents love that verse. We love that verse. But similarly to the verses that talk about husbands submitting to their wives and, and or, or, sorry, wives submitting to their husbands and husbands laying down their life for the church. Sometimes we leave out verse four in this. And it says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So yes, children, obey your parents. This is right. It's important for you to do so. We must live a long life. But also, parents, it's our responsibility to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord and not to provoke them to anger. We must fight for our children's spiritual survival. I'm gonna read those verses that I did at the beginning. Verse uh, Exodus 26, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. With emphasis on those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 34, six through seven, I'm reading the, the whole passage now. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to them, to the third and fourth generation. Imagine if we put that in the song. And your family and your children, and if you don't, they'll get punished for generation to generation. It'll make the song a lot less happy. <laughs> Generational accountability sounds harsh, but it is necessary for survival. And listen, not just for your survival as a house, but for the survival of the church. Generational accountability. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through uh, verse 10 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the few, fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath and swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God, amen, keeping the covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments, amen. But those who hate him will repay to their face he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay their face to those who hate them. Psalm 103, 7 through, 17 through 18. 
But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children, children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. We must keep his covenant. We must keep up our end of this love covenant and remember to obey his precepts. These verses are not about punishment, but about his covenant of love, which is why we sing the song, because the blessings are powerful, but we must not forget the covenant of those things that we sing. So if you're reading these verses, you might say, well, why is one generation getting punished for the sins of their father? Who is accountable? What does that even mean? Well, the phrase to the third and fourth generation is kind of just an idiom that means as long as it takes. And God, what God is really saying here is that if children repeat the sins of their father, knowing that their fathers and mothers had sinned, they will face the same retribution as their parents. Not that they're being punished for them, but that they naturally are going to have certain proclivities to those sins. And if they repeat them, knowing the punishment, God will punish them all the well. So who is at fault? Or who needs to be accountable in this generational handoff? It's a classic chicken in the egg dilemma. Well, my parents sinned, so now I sin. Well, do you want your kids to sin too? Each generation is responsible for their own actions but to know the sins of our forefathers and to repeat them anyways will in turn bring the same consequences. So parents and grandparents, it is our responsibility to instruct children the way that they should go. It is our responsibility to pass the baton of faith onto the next generation. But parents, you are not ultimately responsible for the choices of your children. They have free will just as you do. And if you're a parent in this place and your children have walked away from the Lord, it is not your fault. I want you to hear that today. It is not your fault. But it is up to you to lay foundations for future generations. Sons and daughters, your parents may not have set foundations for you, but you cannot blame your actions on their faults. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility to course correct for your future generations. We can all learn a thing or two from our brothers and sisters and celebrate recovery. I've heard this said in many of their testimonies. Trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. But pastor, you don't know the things that I went through because of my parents. I don't. But it is your responsibility to make sure that doesn't get passed on to your children. And if anybody understands what generational trauma is, it is the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Going from sin to slavery to bondage to freedom to captivity to building a, to building a, a temple to it getting knocked down to be going back into slavery. Generational trauma is real. Secondary PTSD is real. But it is our responsibility, it's our responsibility to heal. I've heard this quote in recent years, and maybe you've heard it, but I wanna share it again with you. It says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak, time, weak men create hard times. This rings true in the spiritual realm as well. 
and it was the pattern of Israel in the Old Testament, I think of it like this. Hard times create strong spiritual men and women. Times of, 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 of hope and despair. You look at the, the times during the Great Depression. You had the Spanish flu of 1912. What happened a couple years later was a revival. Hard times create strong, and, uh, strong spiritual men and women. Strong men and women create great spiritual times. Men and women of faith who stand up, those are the ones that usher in revival. They create great spiritual times that we have seen. I've been studying a lot of the early foundations of the Assemblies of God and how it came out of the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. Greatness, great times, but here we are 100 years later and we have many empty churches. And our, our fellowship has been fighting for the next generation and, and putting emphasis on passing the baton to the next generation. So great spiritual times in this wake of revival, after a great revival breaks out, there's, there's, God is moving, God is doing all these things. If you're not careful, after in the wake of revival comes spiritual complacency. And if we're not careful, spiritual complacency creates hard times. When we look down the line at the next spiritual leaders, the bench is looking a little thin. The great pastors and evangelists are getting older. Some of them have passed away. I think of great names like Billy Graham. We have fewer and fewer men and women who would take up the mantle. This is why I do what I do. This is why I believe in being a youth pastor. It's not just for your children, it's for my children. I wanna make sure that my great, great grandkids have biblically literate and sound preachers and teachers of the word of God. Not some YouTube and TikTok theology. But it is up to us to ensure. This is why giving is so important. I'm so grateful that I get to do what I do for this community because of you. This is why it is so important to pass this on to the next generation. Because I want my son Josiah to have a great youth pastor. But I believe that we are in hard times right now and the next generation is full of strong men and women who will usher in the next wave of revival. These teenagers, they get a lot of flack. I've already made a joke that they don't like to work. It's partly true, but they've also learned the system and they're going to figure out ways to make money without subscribing. I believe that the church will be restored to a place of utmost importance in the family unit. I wanna encourage you guys, after our family fest, November the 3rd, uh, I'm sorry, November the 2nd is a Wednesday night. We've been having family nights the first Wednesday of every month. This family night, we will be having a worship night for everybody, for kids, youth, parents, grandparents, if you don't have a kid, come. It's for all of us. I believe that there is going to come a day where people want to get back into church as much as possible. I believe Sunday night revival services are coming back. 
Now, pastor may be looking at me and say, hold up. (laughs) But I'm telling you, God is on the move. And he is on the move with these young people. I believe that we will see the promise of Joel 2.28 and Acts 2 in our time. And I believe the harvest is plentiful and it's time to raise up the harvesters. If the worship team wants to make their way up to the stage. To conclude, I'd like to read you some more lyrics to a worship song just as we open the message. This is a hymn that was written in 1674, and we sing a portion of this hymn today. In our church, we've sung it here a few times, but also many, many uh, modern-day worship artists like Anthem Lights and Shane and Shane have recorded renditions of it. This portion of the original hymn, Morning Hymn, has come to be known as the doxology. Doxology simply means a liturgical formula of praise to God. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This doxology and the whole hymn written was written uh, by an Anglican bishop by the name of Thomas Ken. Thomas Ken was orphaned in childhood and was raised by his sister Anne and her husband, Isaac Walton. Isaac Walton was a great author known for The Complete Angler, which was poems and prose for fishing. I'm sure a lot of people in here would like that. But he was raised by his sister and brother-in-law. In 1651, Ken became a scholar of Winchester College and then in uh, 1661 received his BA at New College, Oxford. He was a chaplain to Princess Mary. He stood up for his faith when it was only, to what was only described as complete immorality in the courts. I read that he stood up to the king for his treatment of her wife, this Anglican bishop. This pastor stood up to the king. He then became a chaplain to King Charles II until he refused to house the king's mistress. The king said, hey, I want you to keep my mistress. She was a famous actress. I want you to go keep her over there in the church office. Imagine if our president did that today to us. But standing up to the king, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. So he was let go. He then became a chaplain to King Charles II until he refused. Oh, I read that part, sorry. He was still loyal, however. This is what I wanted to read. He was still loyal to that king and even attended him on his deathbed. In 1666, King James II reissued the Declaration of Indulgences for the second consecutive year. It seemed to be a tallest. It seemed to be toleration for the promised Protestant dissenters, which he was Protestant. It seemed to be toleration, but it was actually intention and intended to win the church over to Roman Catholicism. Ken and six other bishops not only refused to publish this in their diocese, but published instead a petition against the order. They were all imprisoned for this. They were later acquitted, but Ken still remained loyal to that king. 
when William and Mary were crowned monarchs for their refusal, or when William and Mary were crowned monarchs, he was again let go of his position as the, uh, the Anglican bishop because he refused to swear allegiance to William and Mary because he had still sworn his allegiance to King James. Even though he disagreed with him, he looked at them and said, does my word mean nothing? This man, orphaned, raised by his sister and brother-in-law, fought at every moment in his life for his faith. He stood up to kings, he stood up to religions, he stood up to many people, and you know what we have? beautiful worship music that he gave us. I made, a, I made a joke earlier about millennials and repetition, but this song, the, the doxology, became a common practice in the Protestant tradition to sing at the end of the last hymn of every service. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I've asked the worship team to sing the song that I read at the beginning, Scripture, the blessing. We're going to sing this song together. If you're here in this place and you want access to this blessing and you don't know how, I want to encourage you first, you need to get right with God. If you're here in this place and you want to have a relationship with God as we pray, all you need to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be your savior. If you need healing from generational trauma, I encourage you, don't leave this altar until you receive healing today. If you want to secure the blessing for yourself and for generations to come, now is the time to get it. These altars are open. I'm going to pray, and what I would encourage you, if you're here with your family, if you're here with your sons and daughters or your loved ones, I would, I would love to see some families praying together this morning, and we will come lay hands on you and your future generations. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we would take hold of the word that you have given us, God, and we would not leave this place until we know that we have secured the blessing. God, that we have positioned ourselves in the right manner and in the right way to pass on what we have to our children. Lord, if there are families in this place or parents in this place that are so worried about their children who have left the Lord, God, I pray that right now that you would send people to them to show them the love of God. And God, we would hear a great report. Lord, as we pray and worship you and sing your scripture back to you, God, I pray you be with us and bless us. In Jesus' name.
While those at the altar continue to pray, we're gonna go ahead and close this service in prayer. Thank you, Anthony, for a great word. In fact, why don't you and Sarah work your way out in the foyer. You can greet people as they leave. Let's bow our heads and pray over this service. Father, thank you for the family of God, which consists of many different families from generation to generation. We thank you for the truth of your word, the fact that we need to seek wisdom and understanding, and we need to pass that wisdom and understanding down to our children and their children and their children. That's how your kingdom works. I thank you for the truth, the wisdom that you give us. I pray that we would convey it in every conceivable way to our children. They pray, Father, that you would build strong families within this church and within this community, bonds that cannot be broken because of your love and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for salvation. We thank you for your spirit, which gives us the ability to, to learn and grasp and to do things we never dreamed possible. Father, you truly do give us everything that we need in order to live victoriously in this, this age in which we live. And that's my prayer over every person and every family in this place. And God, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your spirit would go with us, guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, Lord, let them be conversations that build up and not tear down. And as always, I pray that we would be bright lights shining in a very dark world. Let us take this truth today and apply it to our lives and live it out every moment of every day. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.